Hope you're having a wonderful week. Is everybody doing good? You glad to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. Amen. I'm so glad to be be asked. I'm thankful. I'm honored. Um, our church, honored by pastor, to be able to be here to teach, to minister to you all of you. And uh, I've been asked to be the first speaker of a called to serve month. The rest of this month, you'll hear from four different people who will be communicating the phrase call to serve and then one word after that. Mine is called to serve God. We'll be, we'll be doing that tonight. It'll be the kickoff. And of course, as you know, because this is the first one, it's the most important one, right? Has to be. Yes, of course. Uh, so I'm, I'm just excited about that. I love the Word of God. The Word of God is powerful. It's able to change your life. It has light and life and deliverance and hope in its pages. Do you believe that? The Word of God is, in, is able to really deliver us, to wake us up, to open our understanding. So I'm, I'm going to do my best to stay with the script you have. I'm going to hold you an hour. Wow, that's a lot for me. I'm going to hold you about an hour, and then we'll be out of here. So we're going to start with our key scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 20. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, him shalt thou serve, and to him shalt thou cleave and swear by his name. So, serving God is extremely easy to explain. It's a lot more difficult to put into practice. Matter of fact, if all I have to do is explain what that means, we're almost done. My next sentence will have it, and we'll be out. It will be done. That's it. Goodbye. Now, if we're talking about how to pra- put that into practice, when I finish and we say it's time to stand up, don't do it now. It's not time. But if I when I say we're done, we will not be done putting it into practice. Matter of fact, we'll just be getting started. I, I will have unfortunately very little specific personal direction for you about how to serve God, because it really is between you and your maker. I'm going to do my best I can to see what the Bible says about it, but a lot of that, very, very large amount of that territory is between your heart and his, all right? So the beautiful thing about it is that everybody in this building, if asked, if pressed, would say, Yes, I want to serve God. Of course I do. I'm a Christian. Why wouldn't I want to serve God? But it's not always as clear or as easy as that. Let's check it out. Serving God means this. To serve as one's subject, to work or labor. That's the the straightforward definition. But serving God means doing what he wants in a way that will give him glory. And if you like to underline, underline this next part. Being pleasing to him in his sight. That's my strongest part of the definition I can think of. Serving God is being pleasing to him in his sight. Someone say pleasing. That's a very important part. We're going to get to that. Joshua says it like this. And Joshua said to the people, If it seemed evil unto you to serve the Lord... Then choose you this day whom you're going to serve. And he mentions the gods your father served, or the gods of the Amorites served. But as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. 
Very important phrase. Now, there are many things in the Bible that people served instead of God. When you dig into it, find it out. It's amazing to see. First, they served their belly. I've never seen anyone in my life pinch their belly fat and say, I'm serving this. Never seen that. I know, I know many of you don't even know what that means, but some of us have some, some stuff down here we could probably pinch, get a hold of. But that's in the Bible. Romans 16 and 18, Paul talks about those that serve their own belly. Now, is he talking about this larger section right here in the middle? No. He's talking about those that are serving their own appetites, their base desires, in effect, doing what pleases themselves, being completely chained chained to their own desires. This is, this is, they're doing this for one reason, for what they can get out of it. Anything that you see them do that seems to be related to the kingdom of God and church goes back to that phrase, for what they can get out of it. They serve their own bellies. Not someone working for the Lord. They're not working for God. They're not serving God. They're serving their own desires. Secondly, you can find in the Bible those in Romans 1.25 who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. They serve things that are created. Whatever way that takes form, they serve created things. You would think, just off the top of your head, well, that, nobody does that, do they? Actually, we have an entire world. That's all they serve is the creative things. They serve what they can see. Anything, they serve it. You can also serve godly leaders in religion. Second Chronicles 24. I know that seems out of place in this list. That seems like a good thing to do. But the Bible says King jo- Joash, he served the Lord... As long as the priest, Jehoiada, was alive. Now, Jehoiada had done some wonderful things for Joash. He had saved him from being murdered, put him on the throne, helped him along. But when that priest died, Joash revealed who he was really serving. And it wasn't the Lord. When he died, Joash lost his godly influence and turned to serve idols. Now, the son of the priest, if the priest had died, his son grew up and prophesied. He pronounced judgment on King Joash. So the king, you know what he did with him? He turned and had him stoned to death. He repaid the kindness of the priest by murdering his son. And it was impossible to tell from the outside that that king was not serving the Lord. Instead, he was serving people and religion and institution and sacrifice. He was involved in all of it. What was he serving? It wasn't the Lord. Titus 3 and 3 tells us that you can serve sinful desires and pleasures. This is how Titus is written to Titus. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various sinful desires and pleasures, Spending and wasting our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. We have a world, unfortunately, that 
will always end up that place. You'll end up serving sinful desires and pleasures, even if you don't intend to start there. It's impossible to just make a choice to not serve God and stay in a nice, even, stable place. And then last, you can serve sin. We find that both in the Old Testament and Samuel and the New Testament Romans. And they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we've forsaken the Lord. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies, and we will serve thee. Romans, it's written, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth, or from now on, will not serve sin. So these are the things you'll find that, I guess, are the opposites from serving God. Now let's move on to the concept in the sight of God. If you in this building right now have to wear contacts or glasses at any time, to see. Raise your hand. Oh, man, that's a lot of people. And I can see you because I have contacts. If you, do not, if you have wonderful eyes and you don't need either one of those ever, raise your hand. Oh, man, I feel envy. Envy. Raise your hand again. I didn't get that. Raise your hand again. We have one. Per, come on, raise your hand. Hold it up for just, a sec, just five seconds. All right. They're not very proud people. I'm not sure why. They're not very thankful for their eyes. All right, let's, let's, let's just check it out a little further. Is there anybody here who has a remarkable vision? Let's say 2015. Whoa, Matt does in the back. Anybody else? No? Anybody have 2010 vision? Which is almost unheard of? Okay. So even the best of us, however, have limited sight. We have limited sight. Even if we put all of our Collective abilities together, we have limited sight. There are some things we cannot see. Remember the king, Joash? To all of our sight, natural sight, he looked like he was serving God. When in reality, he wasn't. He was serving an influence, a godly influence, and serving religion. It's hard to see that. How can you see the difference? There is, even right now, on your life and on mine, there is a hidden evaluation. There's a hidden evaluation for you and for me. This has the greatest impact on your life now and your life in eternity. And you can only know what this is by measuring your life, your thoughts and choices against his word. It's called in the sight of God. That's a different sight than the sight of man, isn't it? It's different than the sight of friends. It's different than the sight of church. It's different than the sight of family. And it's different than the sight of yourself. In the sight of God reigns supreme over all of those. And that's a hidden evaluation. You want to know today, how am I doing in the sight of God? What, what does he think in the sight of God? And the only way to check that out, the only measuring tool is against his word. Now, when we were kids, Jeffrey and I and Dane especially, we would listen to something called Mystery Theater. It was on the radio, and it was dramatic stories. Sometimes very scary stories. Sometimes just like, oh, what's going to happen stories. And part of the fun was they had dramatic music that went along with it. Sometimes you would hear an organ being played. And it was this very, oh, like that in growing intensity. And you would almost say, don't go down the hallway. The bad guy's down there. And her hands on the doorknob. And you hear the music just growing stronger. And you think, don't do that. I, I've always wondered, wouldn't it be great to have that in your life? 
You think, I'm going to go down to the to, uh, coffee shop today, and you hear dramatic music, and you think, you know what, Lord, maybe I'm going to stay home today. <laughs> or you say, you know, I wanted to go, I think I should go on a date with that guy, and you hear really nice, really exciting music. Okay, yes, that's the right guy. I would love to have that. Evidently, the Lord doesn't think that's important to have, but I would like to have it. Now, there's a phrase that I, I have come to recognize that just slips by me in, in literature, but it's called Little Did He Know. Interesting phrase. It's a literary technique for the author to tell the reader, me, that something is happening that the character is completely unaware of. Little did he know. If he only knew, he would never have done that. He would never have bought that house because, in, you know, in three months, it's going to fall off the cliff and he's going to have no house or whatever. Little did he know if he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have eaten that, you know, that weak old pot roast. He thought it was still good, but it turns out it wasn't still good. And now he's feeling sick. Little did he know. There's all kinds of little did he knows, right? And the Bible is filled with him because God has a sight that's greatly different from the world. And there's some things that little did he know for us. If we don't measure our life according to the word, we'll be in one of those little ditty knows. So Paul says this. Paul tells Timothy that praying for all men and for those that are in authority is good and acceptable where? In the sight of God and our Savior. That's 1 Timothy 2. You see, that's a little different. That's in God's sight. It may not be important in man's sight. James says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he'll lift you up. Peter says, an inner beauty of a gentle and peaceful spirit in the sight of God is of great price or value. Now, the world may say, that's worthless. We don't give any value to that at all. But God says, I do. See, there's another sight going on. Now, we're going to connect this to serving in a minute, but it's important that you grasp this concept. I want you to go to Second Chronicles chapter 14, if you have your Bibles or you have it on your page. This story in this man's life, the life of King Asa, will help us just a little bit with this, with this idea of the side of the Lord. So he starts out really great. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He was smashing altars. He's commanding people. You've got to serve the Lord, the God of your ancestors. He's obeying the laws and commandments of God. That's a perfect definition in a life of how to serve. Doing right. He faced an impossible situation in verse 11 of that same chapter. A massive army came against him. And the king turned to God. And Asa cried to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many. I don't have any many soldiers, Lord. You know the many isn't us. Or with them that have no power. That's me. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee. And in thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God. Let not man prevail against thee. And God fought for them. What a fantastic answer. Now two chapters later, and later in his life, the king faced a small problem that he could handle on his own. He figured out, I can, I can do this. And guess what? It all worked out wonderfully. It was a small problem. I can fix this. I know the answer. 
it won't be, it won't be a problem at all. I got it. So what happened was the king of Israel, which should have been their family, Israel and Judah should have been together, but this king, King Basha, he blocked a major trade route into Judah. He was hoping to put pressure on King Asa and his people. So it's not the same as the massive army attacking him. It's a little thing. It's a normal thing. I can do this. It's, it's frustration. It's scary. And it's the sixth and thirtieth year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah to the intent, here's his purpose, that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. It's, that's not a good thing. It's bad. But he's got an idea. Asa does what's typical for that time, and normal for kings. He reached out to the biggest, strongest, baddest king in the area, king of Syria. He sent him gold out of the treasury of the Lord's house, which is not good, and out of his own house, to pay for some protection. We need some muscle over here. We need some protection. Help us. And it worked perfectly. It was awesome. King of Syria sent some of his captains. They came and attacked some of the other uh, places in between, and the king of Israel withdrew. And it was so wonderful. It worked. That's the, the key word there. It worked. Everything was great until a prophet came along. Uh-oh. He had God's perspective. There's a different sight than what works. There's a different sight than what is normal. There's a different sight than what is everybody's doing that. He reigned on the king's parade and said, God had a whole different plan, and you missed it. You relied on that king and not on the Lord. Now, his army has escaped out of your hands. Begs the question, were they ever in my hands, King Asa would say? I I didn't know that I had them in my hands in the first place. God had a victory for you planned out, king, and you'll never experience it. Remember when you cried to the Lord? when you had no idea, and you said, we have no power, I've got no ability, and the Lord answered you and helped you? Second Chronicles 16 says this in verse 7. At that time, Hananiah the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said unto him, because thou hast relied on the king of Syria, and not relied on the Lord thy God, therefore is the host, that's the whole army, of the king of Syria, escaped out of your hand. You must understand, God sees things that no one in this building, even with the greatest vision, can see. And just because everybody's happy, doesn't mean God is. Listen to this. This applies to you and me. Verse 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. That's, that's even Terhud, I think. Whole earth. To show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein, you've done foolishly, king. From now on, you're going to have nothing but wars. Wow. All right. So let's connect these dots. Let's go back to serving. Here we are again. Serving God is pleasing God. Serving God is pleasing God. If you want to just look at the most simple example, everyone here has been to a restaurant. The best servers are those who take care of you 
the best. They watch for what you want next. They're never sitting on the ground, on the carpet, cross-legged, looking at you, saying, I'm just waiting on you. I'm just trying to serve you. You just, oh, I'm just, I, I know you've got something for me. No, the best servers are very busy, right? They come by and they check. They're there to check your water, check to make sure the food's good. Did you get everything you wanted? They're constantly moving. That's how service for us really is. It's not sitting here after the lights go down and pray until the next morning saying, God, I'm just here to serve you. That's not serving God. Serving God is doing what is pleasing in his eyes. Not their eyes, not my eyes, not her eyes, not his eyes. Wow. Pleasing is found in the job description of being a Christian. Colossians says that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. That's serving and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul said he taught all the believers this concept in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us, remember we taught you this, how you ought to walk, that's serving, and please God, so you would abound more and more. And even Jesus gave us the pattern for how to serve with pleasing. In John 8, 29, and he that sent me, Jesus says, is he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone. For I do always those things that please him. Remember what I said at the beginning? Very easy to give you the definition. Much more difficult to put into practice. Right? Because it doesn't take just paper and ink and, and, and black and black uh, letters on white paper. It doesn't take just me talking. It takes me pleasing him. Sometimes that's, that's similar to what others are doing, like King jo- jo- Joash. It may look the same. Sometimes it's radically different. Now, I have one more story to tell you. This is King Manasseh. This king started out really horrible. He went from evil in God's sight to greatly humble before the Lord. What a great change. What a shift. Now, the question I want to ask is, who was Manasseh serving for most of his life? Well, the answer is himself. Really, himself. And then, and then more on that topic is pleasures. And then finally he moved into this concept. I want to be like all the other nations that serve their gods. Why is that like? We're like that. I wish we weren't, but we do that all the time. Looking around at people, what do they get to do? What do they get away with? Well, I want to do what they're doing. Well, that looks fun too. Well, I want to be like them. And then finally, he served sin, which is horrifically bad. And I'll show you how, where we got to that point. In Second Chronicles 33, verse 2, it says, But did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Remember, there's always a sight an evaluation on your life and on mine. There's a, the Lord says, that is evil in my sight. Or that is, well, that's pleasing in my sight. He did that which is evil in the sight of the Lord. Like unto the abominations of the heathen. Just like the people around him. Like everybody. By whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. You might want to underline this or, take a, or write this down in your own notes. But doing what pleases you. 
doesn't satisfy for very long. Anybody can give me a testimony to that just in the physical? Have you ever eaten a lot of stuff that you liked because it tasted good? And you ate and ate and ate and you loved it because it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's the day before New Year's. You can eat whatever you want because I don't know how that, but somewhere in, it's a holy thing. And you have to be eating so much and eating so much. It doesn't take very long. You begin to feel, oh, I could never eat another thing again the rest of my life. I now despise food. Please don't show me a picture of food. Don't take me around a kitchen. I don't want to be anywhere near food. Yeah? Sure. If you do what pleases you, it won't satisfy you for very long. It's a fire that's always hungry for more. And we find in verse 6 of that chapter that this king caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. He sacrificed his baby boy to the God and let him be burned alive while they played the drums loudly so they couldn't hear his screams. You, you could ask him, wait a minute, your dad is Hezekiah. You had a godly father. How did you end up here? Who would ever guess that you would end up in this spot? Well, go back to the beginning. First, please in himself. Then, please in pleasures. Then, please in what everybody else does. And finally, sin. Ooh. He refused to listen to God's word through the prophets. And according to Jewish history, this is the king that bound the prophet Isaiah between boards and cut him in two. This could be a reference in reference in Hebrews 11.37. Look it up sometime. That could be a Hebrews 11.37 right there. We don't know for sure. The Bible doesn't say, but it talks about those who are cut asunder. In 2 Chronicles 33, verse 10, the Lord spoke to Manasseh. And why did he do that? Did he have to? No. He had already told them. He had a godly example of his father. He had the Torah. He had the word of God. He had plenty of it, everything helping him. But still, that's God in his mercy. God spoke to and his people. How did God speak? How did God talk? God spoke to his prophets in this situation. God usually speaks through other people. He does. God can speak in an audible voice. He can speak to his word. He does that when you're reading it. He can speak to a song. But very often you'll find in the Bible when it says the Lord spoke there was a voice, some man, some woman was speaking. But they would not listen. So finally God says, all right, I'm going to allow the enemy to attack. He broke through the city wall. They put a ring in the king's nose. They bound him with chains. They threw him in a pit. And that's when he realized the truth, that serving God is so much better than serving yourself. Took him a long time. Now, when he when he was in affliction, chapter thirty three, verse twelve, when the king was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. God heard his prayer and restored him to his kingdom. If you're just completely shocked at how evil this king can become. You should be twice as surprised at how great God's mercy is. No one in this building should ever say out of their mouth ever again, I've gone too far. I, I've messed up for the 34th and 38th and 467th time. I've done too much. God can't forgive me. 
Look at this man. You should never in your mouth say, I, I'm not reachable by God. Or no one in my family, I can't, I can't, God can't reach them. This is a man who did incredible evil. No one here has ever done that kind of horrible evil, not only to himself, but to lead his own country who loved God into sin. Yet, God heard his cry. Wow. From great, greatly evil in the sight of the Lord to greatly humbled before the sight of the Lord. Wow. Now, I, I want you, this is not in your notes, so you may want to write this down. If you love a good mystery, if you like a mystery, um, you'll want to write down these questions. Just write them down. I've got, I've got like four questions. Here's the thing. There are treasures in God's Word. There are. But they're usually not laying on the top. You've got to dig them out a little bit with some research and some prayer. There's a treasure here. I don't have time for it. I want you to check it out. You tell me what you find out, what the Lord tells you. So I'm not in the first question yet. But when Manasseh got out of prison and sent back home, one of the first things he did was he spent time rebuilding part of the wall. That's one of the first things he did. So here's a question. Why was it important for him to rebuild that section of the wall? Why? Number two, why did he raise it to a very great height? That, that's explicitly said in the Bible. He raised it to a very great height. What does this have to do with you? And lastly, of all the details God could include in this story, why did he take time to tell us about fixing a wall? All right, check it out if you want to. Here's our last section. This is the part where I want to hopefully get the concepts together. Choose you today who you will serve. Choose you this day who you will serve. You know what? That verse, even though I love it, and I've seen it in many homes, and I've seen it on little calendars and little needlepoint, and I've seen it in pillows. For me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I, I have got a better understanding of what that really means to serve the Lord after doing this study than I ever had before. It seemed to be like, yes, I love the Lord. I'm good. I'm done. I told you I'm going to serve you. But it turns out that there's a lot of serving the Lord that isn't serving the Lord at all. Many times people serve them their own desires. And as long as the Lord doesn't break that, and no one in the church challenges that, they're great serving the Lord. You see how that works? Matter of fact, you can't even tell until pain or time or trouble or separation comes. COVID pokes its face in your business, and all of a sudden, you're not here. And then when things come back to normal, you're still not here because... Well, you weren't actually serving the Lord. You were serving the way things went and how life was normal and good. Some people are serving the Lord as long as their prayers are answered. But when grandpa dies or when, you know, uh, the nephew is sick in the hospital and he doesn't come out, all of a sudden, oh, there's distance between you and the Lord. Why is your distance? You weren't serving the Lord. You were serving your own belly. You're serving your own pleasures. This is what I want. I'm here for this. I'm here for the good stuff. This happened to Jesus multiple times. Yes, I want to be serving Jesus. The whole crowd would say, we're here. We're here. With I want to hear him. Until it got a little confusing. Jesus said some things that didn't make sense and did not bother to explain. And they said, these are hard sayings. Who can hear them? And they left. 
Yeah. Wow. I, 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 I could say that I had been in church all my life. I think from two weeks old, something like that. I don't remember that, but I was told that. But <laughs> I remember I was five years old and came to an altar like this and cried. I don't remember what I said, but I know there was a Sunday school teacher involved praying for me. I know that. I know I got the Holy Ghost. I know I spoke in tongues. I know mom and dad didn't know what to do with me. Laid me in the back of the car and I kept speaking in tongues. I heard mom say to dad, Bill, hasn't he spoken in tongues enough? I mean, it's kind of long. I don't know what to do with this kid. And dad said, let me try this. I heard him say all this. He said, Scott, do you want to go get ice cream at Dairy Freeze? And I stopped speaking in tongues. Incredible how powerful that ice cream making is. Knock the Holy Ghost right out of you. <laughs> so I, I have seen a lot of people, and I have been this place myself, where you're frustrated or you're hurt or you're like John the Baptist in prison scene. That, was I doing the right theme? Was, it, was he the son of God or am I supposed to look for another? I'm confused. It's not turning out like I thought it was going to turn out. And the question has to come back to us, who am I serving? That's a great question. Who am I serving? So here's Luke 16, 15. And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men. Hmm. Take that a little bit of time. Ye are ye which justify yourselves before men. What does that mean? They're explaining why they're right. Why every excuse in the book, why how they're serving God is okay. Well, because this is the way I was raised. Or that's what I've always thought was right. Or I've seen other people do it like that. Well, there are plenty of churches that do this. Or this is, I, you don't know all the trouble I've been through. You don't know all the pain I've been through. You don't know what others have done to me. But God knows your heart, Jesus said. For that which is highly esteemed before men is an abomination or hated thing in the sight of God. Now, back up. Don't leave that verse. What is highly esteemed before men? What right now would get this church packed out tonight? Well, we can get a, a country music star, I'm sure. To, not to sing, just to say hello. And hand out signed things. People would just be here, right? What would make all of us say, wow? Usually it's the same things. Power, money, ability, beauty, right? People give so much for that. Life, just life itself. People esteem life. They love life. They want more life. They want better life. They... Whatever, how you can fill the gap in. They want better life. They want more of it. They don't want to be in a dead-end job, or they don't want to be in a dead-end relationship, or dead-end marriage. They don't want to be a dead-end town. They want to find life. There's a guy by the name of Mike, Mike Carter. You don't know him. I don't know him either. Little Gia and I, for some reason, we're talking about people that get froze. And they get froze on purpose because they have a hope for technology to one day bring them back to life. She says to me, Papa Scott, so I said, yes, she. She said, that man is crazy. I said, well, gee, I think you're right. Mike Carter is a retired engineer. He's in Cardiff, Wales. He's got some money saved up. And just recently, he spent $160,000. Why? Well, he's 76, and he said, 
when I die, what's going to happen is this. A team will rush into that hospital. And the moment I die, they'll be with the family and give me just a moment. And then they'll put big, huge tubes in my, in my neck and then pump antifreeze into my head and in my body. Then they'll take my body full of antifreeze and put me into a kind of a capsule and then put liquid nitrogen into that. Now, the reason for it is that they'll, they'll hopefully, hopefully, maybe it'll take 30 years, maybe 100, maybe 500 years. We believe technology, hopefully, will able to bring me back from the dead and reanimate me, and I'll have, I can have another life. I can live again. So for that time period, his, his little body in that pod will be in a garage or basement just waiting for the day when that time will come. Now, you don't have to spend $160,000. If you don't have that much money, you can spend 90000 but they'll only do your head. I, I am not joking. That is exactly the truth. They will, they will only save your head. You ask why. Well, the hope is that in many, many years from now, they'll figure out how to use your head and grow a body from your head, I guess. Now, $160,000 is not a little amount of money for a retired guy. That's a lot of money. Why is that? And they asked him, Mike, what do you want? Why are you doing this? Because I want more life. I want to live longer. I want to see more things. I want to see the future. Why, why, why would that happen? Because they don't understand the Word of God. They don't serve Him. No, they're serving life. You see how that's different? They're not serving Him. And I, I've struggled with this in my life as well. Serving God means doing things that please Him in His sight. Not my sight. Even if others... Don't see what you're doing. Oh, we don't like that. If I'm going to serve God, I want them to at least see what I'm doing, right? Or if they don't approve of how you're serving. Here's what Samuel said. I'm going to tell you people how to get out of trouble. Listen to me. You got yourself in this trouble? Here's how to get out. First Samuel 7 and 3. Samuel tells the people, if you put all of these strange gods away from you and prepare your hearts for the Lord, and serve him only, he'll deliver you from the Philistines. These people had served the Jewish feast. They'd served sacrifices. They'd served the temple. And lost sight of the God they're supposed to serve. So much when Jesus came, a few hundred years later, he didn't call it the feast of God. He didn't call it the feast of God of the Old Testament. He called it the Feast of the Jews. Why did he do that? Because they had lost completely who they're serving. They completely lost. It was just so far away. Had nothing to do with him. Matter of fact, they didn't want him to come and mess up their religious activities. Matter of fact, when Jesus healed people on those days and made them angry. You believe that? That's how far away from they got. The big question you must answer is, who am I serving? If we're serving God, then we're under a different calling than anyone else in this world. And it's found in 2 Timothy 2 and 4. No man that warreth entangleth himself or gets bound up with the affairs of this life. He doesn't get bound up with things in this life. And there's a lot to get bound up in this life about, aren't there? There's all kinds of good things. There are. 
There are all kinds of normal things. You can get bound up. Why? So he can please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Remember Luke 18? Remember the Pharisee that was praying and the publican, the tax collector that was praying over there? Jesus told the parable how the Pharisee said, I thank you, God, that I'm not like him. I thank you, God, that I fast two different times a week. That's pretty awesome. I don't know if anybody here does that. But that's incredible. I pray. I sacrifice. I give. I, I thank you, God, that I'm not like him. That's an unusual prayer. That's a strange prayer. And God, Jesus says, that man did not go back to his house justified or heard of God. But the man who put his face on said, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. Be merciful unto me, a sinner. That man went down to his house justified. Now, like that man, though, many people serve the Lord by focusing on the people that they don't want to be like. There are entire churches built on the concept that we are not like them. There's a church in this town that has the same denominational church name as others, except on their church name it says Cleveland. They're a different section. We're not like those guys. We're like, these, we're like this guy. I know I, I went to a, a church in a town where... I think it was roughly 24 different Pentecostal churches had broken off of the big church over a course of 40 years. Why? They all believe something different, or they wanted, oh, this is more important to us than this church, or we're not going to be like that, bless God. We're going to be different than them. Yeah. I know this in my life. I've met a lot of fake people, especially as a kid, people that were Loved God, but hated my mom and dad or hurtful to mom and dad. As a pastor's kid, it hurt my heart. So you know what I did? I love you, Lord, but I'm not going to be fake. I'm going to go out of my way to not be fake. But I realized looking back at that, I'm not sure I was serving the Lord. I was serving, I'm not going to be fake. Some of you, undoubtedly, the way you act, the way you live, the way you dress, the way you work, is not as driven by what pleases him, but not wanting to be like them. you got to check yourself. God, why am I doing this? Am I doing this because it pleases you or because I'm not like them? I'll never forget Mom and Dad Hudiger. Jen and I were in a restaurant in Cape Trotter, Missouri, and a little Pentecostal girl came, waited on us, sweet as can be, and she left, and I said to Dad Hutz, I said, now, I wonder what church she goes to, what Pentecostal church she goes to around here. It's obvious from her dress, her hair, even her demeanor. Demeanor, sweet girl. He says, oh, she goes to the different church. She goes to the church that doesn't have a name. I said, they, they don't have a name? No, they, they, they go to a church and they don't believe that you should have a name for the church because it wasn't a name for any churches in the Bible. I said, okay, well, I guess. So what do you call the what do you call the church when you're telling someone where they go? Oh, we say the church without a name. So she goes to the church without a name. That's how you name it. It Now, in the community, everyone knows what's the name of the church. Church without a name. It's funny because what they tried to avoid, because we're not going to be like them, they still became. How many of you have ever thought, I'm becoming like my father. I'm becoming like my mother. My father, when I grew up, 
always embarrassed me forever. He would tell the stupidest jokes to people he did not know. Walks into McDonald's. I'm there. I'm a teenager. And my dad is there behind the counter with me. I don't know why we're there. We're there on a trip or something. And the girl's ringing up. She says, oh, I forgot to put the taxes in. And dad says, oh, I don't need no taxes. Don't be no taxing on me. I'm like, oh, God, Dad, so embarrassing. Please, get Jesus, take me away from here right now. Just whisk me out. So, I, you know, I wasn't going to ever tell jokes. I wouldn't be like my dad. But some of you would probably say right now, Scott, I think you tell jokes like your dad. And I, and I didn't want to ever look like my dad. My dad didn't have any style or anything. But now my kids say that I don't have any style or anything. Isn't that crazy? Sometimes the thing you most don't want to be like, you end up being like really is true. I have seen plenty of Christians, good people that love God, or say they do, more concerned about those that hurt them or disappointed them and saying, I don't want to be like them. It drives their behavior. It's the measuring stick they measure against. Well, let's see. What would they do? Oh, I don't want to be like them. Matter of fact, the next time you see a sticker or a bumper sticker in the back of a car, it says something about atheism or whatever, not knowing if there's a God or some kind of comment, it's mostly time people that are hurt or angry or even upset with what they've heard, that Christians are hateful, judgmental, they hate everything, and so I'm not going to be like them. This sticker at least gets me as far from them as possible. What are you serving? Who are you serving? It's not in the sight of you. It's in the sight of God. It's not in the sight of your pastor. It's in the sight of God. It's not in the sight of your family. In the sight of God. All those good things flow out of that. You can serve people. You can serve a church. You can love people if it flows out of this. But otherwise, you're not serving God at all. You're serving something going on here. There are folks, unfortunately, that will not be in this church again. And why is that? Because something they thought would happen in their Christian walk did not go the way it was supposed to go. So I asked, want to ask them, who were you serving in the first place? Were you serving the thing that's supposed to work out? Were you serving the golden ticket where you're going to get the Holy Ghost? It's all going to be great, and there'll be no more bills, and work will be a pleasure. That's a lie, right? Here's some questions you can ask yourself. What do I want to do? That question, what do I want to do? What does that connect to? That's someone who serves their own belly. That's serving me. What do I want to do? What do I feel like doing? That's not serving him. That's serving me. And here's the, remember this. It's easy to forget it. Serving you will not stay there. It will go down, down, down down and down into sin till one day you'll look up and say, how could I ever have gotten here in a valley sacrificing my own baby boy because you started serving you? Here's the next question. What do others want me to do? If you're asking that question, you're serving people. What happens when that doesn't work for you anymore? What happens when seasons of life change? What happens when you realize they've shifted, and now I've got to change again? Here's another question. What does the church want me to do? That seems like a good question, but it's not a good first question. 
That's a good maybe second or third question. What what was we preach here? Because what happens when you're separated from the church? You're on vacation. You're working someplace else. COVID comes. Do you have a relationship with him at all? If you and Jesus were left alone for a while, could the two of you even get along together? Yeah, that's a great question. And then lastly, here's the question we've got to ask. What does God want me to do? Unfortunately, almost no one starts there. I'm hoping that you'll end up there. What does God want me to do? What is pleasing in the sight of God? That's of great price. Even though the world says that's worthless, in the sight of God it's a great price. Proverbs 16 says, All the ways of man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. Romans 8 says, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. James 4 says, You ask God for something, you don't get it. You know why you don't get it? You ask with wrong motives. And in Philippians chapter 1, they said, There are people even preaching, ministering from impure motives. Paul said, yeah, it's true. Some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry. In verse 17, he said, those others don't have a pure motive as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my change more painful for me. This is tough. Like I said, if it's just me explaining, we were done a long time ago. But putting into practice, we haven't even gotten started. You've got to ask the Lord, Lord, why am I deciding how to order my life? Why am I deciding what I, where I can go, what I can say, and how I can work, and what I want to, what, what's important to me, what my desires and dreams and goals are, and friends are? Instead, Lord, help me to put it in your hands and say, God, what is pleasing in your sight? Because you see what nobody else sees. And one day, he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Amen. Amen. I feel the Lord in this place right now. Stand with me, would you? I want you to take just a couple minutes. Close your eyes. Talk to the Lord right now. Lord, you know me. You know me more than anybody else knows me. You know my heart. Come on, church of the living God. Reach out to him. Yes, Lord. You know my heart, Lord. I come before you right now. I want to serve you and not anything else. I want to be pleasing to you. And not anyone else, Lord. If that at first, to start with you. Yes, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord. I'm calling on your name right now. I know you love me. I know you called me. I know, Lord, great mercy has been poured out of my life. Lord, better, even higher than that king has got mercy. I've got mercy like that in my life. Thank you for your merciful kindness. Calling me back to you again. I'm asking you, Lord, right now, help me, Lord, to live under that banner of what would please you, to serve you, Lord, under that concept, what pleases God. Do the work I pray in my spirit, my thoughts, and my life, Lord. Help me to get out of my ruts of pleasing myself and doing what comes naturally to me. Instead, walking hard after you, eagerly after you, seeking your kingdom. Jesus, in your name. It was a delight to have you tonight. I'm so thankful to be in the house of the Lord. I love you. Hope you have a wonderful week. We'll see you soon.